Here we go. I really love this translation. So let's each of us read it. I think that would be fun to hear it three times. And if Malen comes back, she, Mago, Mago, Magoku, Magoku took up his bell staff one day and went to Shokyo's temple. There he marched in solemn ritual three times around Sokyo's meditation seat, rang the bell once, and stopped, standing upright. Shokyo said, very well done. Next, Magoku went to Nansen's temple and repeated the ritual, but Nansen said, no good. Magoku protested, your reverence, Master Shoko said, well done. Why do you say no good? Nansen replied, although Soko was right, you are wrong. What you did was a mere shifting of the wind. In the end, it would result in your downfall. Okay, who would like to read next? I'll do it. Okay, great. Magoku took up his bell staff one day and went to Shokyo's temple. There he marched in solemn ritual three times around Shokyo's meditation seat, rang the bell once and stopped, standing upright. Shokyo said, very well done. Next, Magoku went to Nansen's temple and repeated the ritual, but Nansen said, no good. Magoku protested, your reverence. Master Shokyo said, well done. Why do you say no good? Nansen replied, although Shokyo was right, you are wrong. What you did was a mere shifting of the wind. In the end, it would result in your downfall. Thank you. I'll go next, Kim. Okay. Magoku took up his bell staff one day and went to Shokyo's temple. There he marched in solemn ritual three times around Shokyo's meditation seat, rang the bell once and stopped, standing upright. Shokyo said, very well done. Next, Magoku went to Nansen's temple and repeated the ritual. But Nansen said, no good. Magoku protested, your reverence. Master Shokyo said, well done. Why do you say no good? Nansen replied, although Shokyo was right, you are wrong. What you did was a mere shifting of the wind. In the end, it would result in your downfall. Milan? You know, I don't think my skills of reading are <laughs> okay tonight. So I will just skip. Okay. Can you read it in Spanish? Or is that no, too hard? Even worse. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. But so you, let's take t 10 your minutes. Voice, your voice is lovely, Milan. I just want you to know, no matter how you read, it's beautiful. Okay. So let's take 10 minutes and 
however you take this, whatever, wherever you go, that's fine. And I really am going to set my clock. I didn't do very well with the timer. Okay. Who'd like to go first? Oh, good. Was it, was that you raising your hand, Christian? Yes, it's me. Um, so I wrote, I, I tend to write long passages. Um, there's something very Warhol-esque about this passage in that something fades as it's repeated. I know this to be true as an actor. You can't just recite the lines prettily the same way you always do night after night. The mere shifting of the wind, which I also take to be the breath. So what was genuine and felt in Magoku's first performance of the ritual became tinny and contrived in the repetition with Nansen, likely due to Magoku wanting to feel safe, knowing what works, assuming what impressed uh, Shokyo um, uh, would impress Nansen. All ritual is to some degree performance art. On the flip side, everyone's a critic and what pleases Shokyo may discuss Nansen and Magoku can't control that. There are some things in the Western canon of plays and literature that get like this, a right versus wrong way, such as Shakespeare. If we were in the West, would Shokyo be focused on Magoku's adherence to the rules of the play or the ritual, whereas Nansen would be looking for something inventive or to feel something? Is this ritual magic? When does the ritual itself cross into magic? Was it a lack of that ineffable magic that Nansen scolded Magoku for? People can get addicted to ritual as much uh, ritual and much of our individual and societal behavior is ritualized and then after the ritual happens, it's critiqued. It's beautiful, thank you. Thank you. Now we have, we've, we've read the commentary. <laughs> yeah. We've heard the commentary. Thank you. Thank you. Who'd like to go next? I'll go next because okay. it's similar but different than Kristen's. It's so lovely, lovely to observe the physical enactment of a form, its perfection in pace, the physical carriage of the body, breath in harmony with movement. When executed with exactness, it ritual. This series of forms is indeed lovely to observe. And perhaps Shoguku was limiting his comment of very good to just that, just the physical. Perhaps Mogoku was a beginner at this point, and it was important that he understand the physical form before embodying it. Therefore, we end with very well done, but in its execution only perhaps. The form without heart is useless. And by the way, I'm trying to read it off all sides of this envelope. <laughs> the form without heart is useless. It's like the difference between acting joyful and actually being joyful. 
form that is embodied only in the physical, in the movement around the room, without heart, without being, the essence of Zen, without being embodied, embodied in our essence, is not Zen. It is a mirage, and that is our downfall. That's it. The envelope's done. So what do you think was the failing the second time? Well, that it wasn't embodied or or something else? Well, it could be what Christian said, that it had been so, you know, as with actors, and you've seen, I've seen this on in Broadway shows. Sometimes they are fully there. It's same with the dancers, same with the musician. And sometimes for whatever reason, they're just not fully there. I've also seen uh, child prodigies, not in person, but on video. I mean, execute something perfectly, but it has no heart. It's just perfect physical execution. And so this could be any number of things, as I've found out from listening to many. You know, I love that teachers are there to teach and encourage. I always remember that since you said it, Kim. And I don't know the distance in time between the first uh, pre ambulation with, with the Bell staff and the difference. And it may be that during the time of the first, as with all of us, we're learning to bow into the, into the Zendo, bow at our cushion, bow to each other, bow at the right time. And so maybe finally, it maybe this is a story I'm making up, Mogoku had finally gotten the physical form the perfection. And maybe that's all his teacher needed to praise in that moment. But perhaps as time passed, it wasn't becoming soul embodied practice. So how do you read that line? Uh, what, it, what you did was a mere shifting of the wind? Well, it's just like when you play a musical piece without heart and without soul. All you're doing is shifting the wind with your hands. Same thing with dancing, same thing with actors. And so it's, it's a mirage. I mean, it looks beautiful. It sounds beautiful, but there's an essence that's missing. It happens with um, art in your field too, Kim. The difference between the great artist and, and the artist who understood all the forms in all his or her classes, but something was lacking something didn't fit. same thing in photography so anyway that's yeah actually i have two artist statements and i'll read them after len about this and i'll just piggyback on that. you can have something that is technically correct um you can have something that is like it um, like in Shakespeare, you have to keep a, a usually you have to keep a, a an iambi pentameter. Ba -bum, ba -bum, ba -bum, ba -bum, ba -bum. And the actor can keep the rhythm of the that you were once unkind befriends me now. But if you don't act, and that's technically the rhythm, you must speak. But if you don't put your 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 emotion into it, you don't put your vulnerability in it because it, it, it's a vulnerable thing. You don't put your your lived experience into the character, then it's just, just a, you're just a brilliant technician. And yeah, I, think, I, I was telling Nelda the other week that I'm so glad I don't have any talent because with talent, you can do, be, you could be that kind of technician, but there's nothing more, you know, it's kind of, uh, 
There's no, it's, it's mere shifting of the wind. What do you think, Milan? Um, I, I will do noble silence. <laughs> okay. Then I have to leave uh, a few minutes before eight. So, um, okay. I'll, I'll just listen. Okay. So, so the two, the two, um, sayings that I thought of that connect, uh, one, one's Robert Frost, it takes all kinds of in and outdoor learning to get adapted to my kind of, oh, I'm sorry. This is for memory. Um, it takes all kinds of in and outdoor fooling to get adapted to my kind of learning. No, it takes all kinds of in and outdoor learning. This is it. Sorry. To get adapted to my kind of fooling. That makes more sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and I love the whimsy in that. <laughs> the playfulness. And, and the next one is by uh, the photographer Edward Weston. I know no rules of composition. Each picture dictates its own. So rather than going to the picture with this idea, you know, like there's this idea of the rule of thirds and at the vertex of each, like a tic-tac-toe thing and that you should have an important part of the composition in each thing of the third. You know, that you can really get into your, you know, mess up your head with that stuff. Okay. And then I want to um, share, oh, so I want to share another koan that I think informs this one. Here we go. Maybe some of you have heard this one, but it seems very similar. Gutai raised his, you can see, can you see it? No, okay. You tell me whether you think it connects. Gutai raised his finger whenever he was asked a question about Zen. A boy attended began, a boy attended began to imitate him in this way. When anyone asked the boy what his master had preached about, the boy would raise his finger. Gutai heard about the boy's mischief. He seized him and cut off his finger. The boy cried and ran away. <laughs> Sorry for laughing. Gutai called and stopped him. When the boy turned his head to Gutai, Gutai raised up his own finger. In that instant, the boy was enlightened. When Gutai was about to pass from this world, he gathered his monks around him. I attained my fingers in he said, for my teacher, Tenryu, Tenryu, and in my whole life, I could not exhaust it. Then he passed away. So do you, do you think that connects? Mm -hmm. Yes. My question I've been kind of uh, tripping on all day is, uh, why was he enlightened? Who? The boy? The boy, yeah. Because well, of the danger of imitating someone. For no, for no, you know, he, he was imitating. 
instead of you know he was you know i had a an ex who 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 say we learn we we learn the best and worst from our parents in this case you know but we learn the best and worst from everybody and we often learn how the the person or the persona we are we learn by imitation from people who are significant to us so obviously this well not obviously but the way i interpret it is this this kid saw something in Gutai that he admired. So he's like, oh, he's sticking his finger up in the air. I am too. Or maybe it was the inverse that he's like, oh, Gutai's this old fart. I'm going to stick my finger up in the air too and imitate him. Either way, the imitation was forming a part of his being or his persona, regardless of whether or not the intention was good or bad or somewhere in between. But then in taking the finger off, Gutai's showing him, you know, imitation is not truly who you are. An imitation can hurt you, literally, or it can also hurt you psychologically. Who are you when you're not imitating me or someone else? We do so much imitating, don't we? Right. I mean, and that's an animalistic uh, thing. I mean, yeah, we're all animals, right? I mean, you know, if we believe in science, I think we all believe in science, but I won't make an assumption. But think about, think about animals who camouflage themselves, octopi. Um, we were talking about zebras. Any, any animal that camouflages itself to look like another animal is doing some form of imitation. Birds, like the mockingbird, all that mockingbird does is, is sing the song of another bird. So it's an animalistic idea that we're, you know, we talk, you know, we talk about like, you know, trying to transcend that animal nature. Imitation is in our animal mind. It's in our mammalian mind. So that's, that's I guess, yeah. Yeah, that's hiding, isn't it? No, wait, no, don't go that far. <laughs> Why not? Why? Okay. Because another word that actually contains a lot of a positive aspect of imitation is modeling. It is wonderful to model after good mentors. We model after our teachers, we model after our parents, good and bad. And modeling is more embodying those ways that we see as helpful um, in our lives, whether it's good manners or whatever it is that, that you model. But at the same time, I agree with, with, with Kristen, with the little boy, it was mere imitation without any connection to what that action had to do in terms of his own life and the impact of his life on others. And I, I, I don't like hearing about or seeing anyone go through a physical or emotional trauma as this boy did. And yet somehow trauma, as we know, in life is one of, if it doesn't kill you or break you, is one of the ways that breaks us enough through which the light shines through. And I think that having had his finger cut off by a master he loved and admired, obviously he wanted to model him, imitate him. I think that whole physical shock put him outside himself to see enough through what that motion really meant. And what doing that motion just as mere modeling might, as Kristen said, cost him if it wasn't appropriately applied. So, yeah, there's imitation is also a good thing. It's I'm glad you said that. 
And that's how kids mostly learn, isn't it? Rather than what kids, what parents say. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the fine line between imitation and modeling is how, how, how flexible are you? If you know, how flexible are you? Can you shed the structure? Are you flexible enough to say, I think imitation is almost, it's, it's, it becomes so habituated, it's almost subconscious, or it's, it, 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 there's so, there's, whereas modeling, it's, how, how do I say, and I'm thinking almost about physical modeling, you have to hold the pose, or like you hold an asana in yoga, when, when, are you free to drop it consciously, before it becomes a problem? Kristen, I'm going to bring up what I think is an ideal example. So my son grew up in Texas. He went to New York, still there, has been there, gosh, I don't even want to count, 15 years to go to NYU. And one of the things mama said to him is, please, don't forget to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. It's such a lovely thing to say to people. So he was going to continue to model that, but it caused him more harm to do that in New York. And then the beauty that it brings you in the South, right? So he dropped it. He's like, yeah, mom, <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. So so to your point. <laughs> I went, um, after graduating from UT Austin, I went to the foreign country called California. So I understand this. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we ha I have a commentary for us to read. Do you want to do that? And Malin, I'll send it to you so you can read it if you have to go before we finish. Oh, thank you. Um, um, I have to, I don't want to end the meeting. I have to, oh, I'm not sharing now. That's why this is the second. Here we go. I kind of lied to you. I have two commentaries. This one's really short. This is by the same one who did the translation. Oh, here. No. Why that? Okay. This is the whole commentary right here. We can't see it. Oh, I see it now. <laughs> okay. Mogu carried the bell staff around the meditation seat of his brother monks, disturbing their meditation and showing off. I didn't get that. Uh -uh. But, but that's what this, uh, this priest says. Shoko said, 
Well done. What else can you say to such a rascal? So he's taking it as being sarcastic. But Nansen stopped the foolishness before it could do Magoku real harm. All he was doing was shifting the wind about as he moved. So that kind of aligns with your shifting the wind, uh, Nelda, but, but uh, was it really good? Um, I, I don't know. So in life, however strong one looks, however much one shows off by so-called success, be it wealth, prestige, or power, is merely shifting the wind. Eventually, all end with old age and death. Oh, I love these varied perspectives. So nice to see different facets, different views. Yeah, I think it would be bad to take this as holy grail. Um, well, that's interesting because it's it's almost it. It's interesting because they, you know it's a solemn ritual, so we forget that there are other people people there. It's rare to have a ritual that just involves two people. <laughs> so there had to be other people there, but it doesn't. It you know it doesn't. It you we didn't fill in. I guess the negative space if it were like a, a photo or a painting we didn't fill in in our minds the negative space of the other people or take their perspective of what was happening or the how of it was magoku you know how was magoku carrying the bell staff But we're not really we're not really acquainted with the ritual. We don't know the mechanics of the ritual. We don't know what the ritual was for. Was it a happy ritual? Was it a sad ritual? Was it, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of unknown there to us, you know, as well. Well, I will say that this commentary reminded me of the only two times I've been Jisha and had to go in and light the incense and come out. And and it's only been two times. So I'm so delighted for this koan and this commentary because I know that I was just form, trying to get just the physical form, the speed of movement, the, the, the proper lighting, the proper bowing, the proper holding, you know, that piece of incense up at the right level. It was all strict form. There was there was no Zen in it. <laughs> but now I I have another beautiful layer to add to it next time. Oh yeah, I'm like re-traumatized from being an altar server the first time. I was raised Catholic. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, and there's there's a you know, taking that from now that what I'm hearing your experience and then my experience and and being raised Catholic, I mean, that can be trepidating when you're doing something like that for the first time or you're very young in it or new, green in it. We don't even know Magoku's age. I mean, Magoku could be like 14 or something. You know, <laughs> you know um, Magoku could be 80 and it's like, okay, you're finally ready after all these years, Magoku. 
Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming from this particular commentary and how scholarly these uh, commentators are, that Magoku had been at this sort of thing a while yeah. and, and hadn't moved past the pridefulness of it, you know, the the showing off of it. Um, uh, and, 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 and again, you know, I, um, Shokyo's comment, well done, could have been um, snarky, you know? <laughs> yeah, you, thanks, well done. You just upset and messed it up for everybody. <laughs> but I love, I love that Nansen realized, yeah, we need to, he, he needs to realize his mistake before he keeps doing that, so. So I was teaching uh, first and second grade and and um, the kid brought me this drawing and it, it, I think it was probably one of my favorite students and I said that's really beautiful and he 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 turned around and tore it up and he knew that I didn't like it very much I mean we we didn't talk about it but I just felt that 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 it, somehow he got it yeah and that's kind of how i read this well done like that's one way to communicate that it's not really isn't it I... amazing kim that and everyone most people are like this they know what's behind the words you get in you get a sense a gut feeling of yeah, they don't really think that they're just kind of being nice to me. You get a, I mean, you get that good sense. Um, and I'm glad this kid acknowledged what he was feeling. I love it. You know, I don't think I was ever telling the kids, you know, that's terrible. You wouldn't. <laughs> I know you wouldn't. I didn't know you taught first grade. Well, I taught in an art center when I was in graduate school. Yeah, but I didn't uh, know it was in yeah. first grade. Well, one was first and second graders, and one was fifth and sixth graders. I don't remember what else, but. Um, was there a second commentary? Yes, yes. That, that's, that, this was the, the pseudo commentary. Uh, here we go. We'll see. We, 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 it's probably longer than we can go through tonight, but uh, we'll start. Here we go. And I'm going to have to make it big enough. Okay, so let's take turns reading. Um, I guess I'm first, then Christian, then Nelda. Good morning and thank you for all for coming to investigate the Dharma together. This time of year when our country, here, if I move uh, your pictures, I can see you. Okay. This time of year when our country is in the midst of its four year election cycle, sir, certainly arouses some interesting energies, doesn't it? So I thought we might jump into a koan with this in the background. And I don't know what year this was. 
Probably applicable to any election cycle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Case 31. Uh, Christian. Okay. Maku's ring staff. Maku, carrying his ring staff, Shakujo, went to see Changqing, a brother monk who was doing zazen. Walking around Changqing's zazen seat three times, he shook his staff, stuck it in the ground, and stood up, stood up straight. Changqing said, right, right. Huyaseto commented, a mistake. Maku then went to the place of Nanchuan, who was doing zazen, shook the rings on his staff, stuck it in the ground, and stood up straight. Nanchuan said, wrong, wrong. Huyaseto commented, a mistake. Maku said, Changqing said, right. Why did you say wrong? Nanchuan said, for Changqing, it was right. For you, it is wrong. You are blown about by the wind and in the end breaks down and disappears. So this commentator called them both mistakes. So that goes along with the other, the, the other thing we just read. Okay, yeah. I see, in, in, in the little brackets, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, okay. So this matter of right and wrong is very near and dear to our hearts, and actually even more so to our core identity. To our core identity. It's our very raison d'etre. As I investigated this personally, I asked myself, why is it that I love to be right? What's at work here? It's a very sticky and simultaneously very intriguing aspect or energy. If I look very deeply, and I now, if I look very deeply and now ask you to look very deeply, what is it to be right? Or conversely, what is it, what is it not to be right? Well, it is indeed a matter of survival. Not being right, being wrong is a threat to our existence. <clears throat> if someone says you're wrong, it's digested and interpreted as you don't belong here, you don't deserve to be here. Fundamentally, if you're wrong, you don't exist. Now the problem here is that I don't exist. You don't exist, not that I anyway. So that false I, that illusion of self is so powerful. Someone says you're wrong and in less than a nanosecond, something clenches, moves and defends. It's a phenomenal energy, clearly one of the most powerful forces in the universe, in our world. Our identity with our beliefs is why right versus wrong is a matter of survival. And what happens inside this body-mind is what manifests in our world. What are the endless wars and conflict about? Disagreements, arguments, right versus wrong. The ways in which we self-justify are endless. We believe we must self-justify in order to exist. To be or not to be, that is the question, and we are very confused about what it means to be. The basic stance is I exist, and to prove it, I will be right. I will be seen. My thoughts, my opinions, my views will be heard, and they will be right. There was a joke that went around amongst my women friends that the way to diffuse any situation with their spouse or male partner was to use six simple words. 
You are so right about that. <laughs> and then you can also add the sentence, yes, of course, you're so right about that. You know everything. <laughs> yeah, my wife will sometimes say, anything you say. I love that. You are so right about that. It works and it is not gender specific. Yeah. Uh, that's a wonderful story about the Dalai Lama that someone shared with me. Apparently the Dalai Lama gave an in-depth exposition on the science of mind and meditation. Everybody in the room was nodding and listening intently. And at the conclusion, he looked out at everyone. Excuse me and said, but I could be wrong. Try that on for a minute. Pick one of your most cherished beliefs or start with a less cherished belief and simply entertain or interject that phrase, but I could be wrong. What do you notice? What if you did that over and over to each and every firmly held belief? What would happen to you, around you? There's such, there's such wonderful words to, to hear, isn't it? I could be wrong. <laughs> there is a story of a spiritual community where two members were arguing and they went to the teacher. The first one presented his case and the teacher said, you're right. Then the second one presented his case and the teacher said, you're right. The teacher's attendant was there and heard the exchange and said, wait, this person presented the case and you said he was right. <laughs> the other person presented the opposite case and you said he's right. The teacher looked at him and said, you're right. I love that. <laughs> Ma Ku, carrying his ring staff, went to see Chang Ching, a brother monk who was doing Zazen. <laughs> Walking around Chang Ching's seat three times he took a staff stuck it in the ground and stood up straight chan ching said right right maku then went to the place of nan chin who was doing zazen shook the rings on his staff stuck it in the ground and stood up straight nan chin said wrong wrong <coughs> maku said Chan Jing said, right, why did you say wrong? Nanchen Nan said, for Chan Ching, it is right, for you it is wrong. You are blown about by the wind, and in the end it breaks down and disappears. So here's a good Zen student who has had some insight, and he goes to visit his brother and senior monk to demonstrate to them. Now, in some circles, it might be considered a little brass, maybe even rude to march in and circle the Zen teacher's seat three times, bop the stick down and stand there, here I am, not even a hello or gosho. Truthfully, in Zen circles, this is considered rude, and yet this monk is taking a stand, maybe going out on a limb or maybe simply standing firm. This is my insight. For this, he gets some credit. Could you do it? It's kind of like bragging, isn't it? Mm. You know, and it's also almost like child, childlike. Look at me. Look at me. Hey, daddy. Hey, mommy. Look at me. Look at me. Look what I can do. I can shake a stick. <laughs> we 
which is not really pridefulness. It's just joy. And ah, I finally got it. I finally got it. Yeah, it's it. exuberance. It's like, you know. <laughs> Who's next? Me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, all of you who come to Dokusan, you are doing it. You come in and present. It doesn't matter what you think or feel about showing up in the room. It doesn't matter if you feel big or small, certain or uncertain, right or wrong. You may be out on a limb. You may be standing firm. You may have no clue. And you are right. And even, and even when the teacher says wrong, no, not it, not right, what's happening? So you are right, even when the teacher says Wrong, no, not it, not right. What's happening? Okay. Don't fall into the trap of Maku here, who bristles and says, wait. Chan Ching says, right, why do you say wrong? I'm sure I'm right. How come you say wrong? Don't, f f no, I think that's the next paragraph. Don't fall into the trap. Our practice is to be free of fixed views and opinions. To break out of this house of ego, to see it for what it is, transient, illusory, falsely constructed. In our tradition, we use Cohen practice, Shikatanza, Teisho, and Dokusan to pry us free of these false constructs. Sit here, those who keep coming, do this because they must. It does take courage to show up in the room. It takes a willingness to be wrong. It's the teacher, the practice, the koan's job to shed light on the areas where we are not clear, where we might be stuck. It may not feel good to be told. That's not it, wrong. But I ask you, who cares? Really, who cares? Look deeply, who is that? Don't be caught in doing practice to confirm a self, to feel good. That is a trap. That is not to say at all that we don't enjoy our practice, enjoy our mu or shinkantaza. No, we do. But let's be clear, those who sit there here, those who keep coming, do this because they must. And there is a balance between responsibility for your own practice and trust in the teacher and the teaching. If we don't trust it, we aren't willing to be wrong. We will fall into what is called self-directed practice. A big problem. Why? Because the self that is threatened by being wrong, that self is the one in charge. So we can kind of see that now, I think. Can't we? That he, uh, he did that on his own. There is a verse by Master Wu Min. Stop all your groping and maneuvering. There is nowhere to hide your true self. With self-directed spiritual practice, there tends to be quite a bit of groping and maneuvering. I think I'll practice like this. Now, maybe I'll do it this way. No, that doesn't feel right anymore. I'll try this and on it goes endlessly. Right practice, wrong practice, groping, and maneuvering. 
We've all and been avoidance of pain. Sorry, because a lot of people won't go right into their pain either because the 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 maneuvering is about I don't want to deal with the pain that's actually underneath all of this quest. Sorry. What do you see as the pain? Well, I think everybody comes into this. Is my opinion. I think everybody comes in. You know, you're you're come out of your mother's womb crying. Now, obviously, you're gasping for breath, but it's that separation between you and your mother. There has to be some sort of pain there when you're expelled from your mother's body, and then suddenly in this alien territory that we you learn is your new home, planet Earth. And I think there is some sort of existential pain or suffering that we all have have to deal with. And then you you it, that's the first strata. And then you have trauma layers that kind of build up build up over it over time from childhood and then your teenage years. And a lot of times I've noticed in myself when I sit and and working with other people that uh, people will want to blame everything else oh or, or they'll want to you know especially in the sort of the new age manifestation culture we have oh i want this i'm working on this uh, you know law of attraction all this but they don't want to get into they they don't want to get into their pain and processing their pain or even feeling their pain it's easier to to numb it out with alcohol addiction culture uh, avoid it with tele television, doom scrolling, whatever it is. People really avoid that pain in any way that they're self self directed, unless someone outside of them. It, it's very rare someone will go into their pain willingly um, without someone. You know, very rare. It, someone. A person needs hand-holding, and I forget who it's, I, I think it was Margaret Mead, maybe, that said that she saw the birth of human civilization as being not, not the agricultural revolution, but when the first human being that had a, a bone fracture had their wound bounded up by another human being. Well, that's neat. Yeah. So it takes someone else to help us bind up our wounds and at least confront them. Because that means that if you have someone else, you're not, you know, a, a, a human being that has a wound, whether it's physical, it, back in back way in the prehistoric times, you, had, you broke your leg, you were going to die. You were going to get eaten by a tiger, a bear, whatever. Okay, because you couldn't run away. I mean, you, you could be, and if you weren't in a cave, you were certainly going to die. So I'm just saying the avoidance of pain it, in a self-directed practice becomes a problem. And it also is a problem for every human being because if we don't get the right nurture in our pre-verbal state, mm -hmm. that feels like annihilation to a baby. If you don't yes. get fed on time, held on time, it, it truly feels annihilation becomes imprinted in a way that cannot be processed because you don't have the higher skills of verbalization and words to do that. And so it stays stuck in the body. So every time as an adult, this neglected or abused baby confronts an issue, 
again, without lots of hand-holding by lots of people over a long time, it feels like they are literally going to die. And so I understand why Zen practice is so hard for some of us. Um, and that is that, that is, that unprocessed pre-verbal sense of annihilation is just, it's imprinted in our brains, neural pathways, and it's imprinted on ourselves. I mean, it just is. I mean, Vander Kolk, who wrote the book, The Body Keeps Score, shows the difference in brains. What happens oh. to your ne neglected child's brain as they've grown up and a child who's not been through that as an adult. So anyway, yes. <laughs> well, the only thing I disagree with is, is in your statement that Zen is, is um, hard for some of us. I mean, mm -hmm. I can't imagine it not being hard for everyone. You know what's I want to I want to bring this up because I think it's important to understanding Zen practice and I didn't didn't dawn on me. I had a day the other day that had you know that I was holding my practice and it was holding me beautifully, but what I found was that at the end of a busy day, and just to kind of cut down on the words, um, I had had some lovely interactions, but I had had two that I would considered very difficult with lots of practice edges and so by the time I attended online my council meeting those resonances were still there and so I brought it up and Todd the teacher one of our teachers Todd was in the meeting and I'm like Todd I, I just wonder how as you've gone through the day with your practice holding you and you holding it how do you make these resonances dissipate and, and not linger and you don't, you know, it's like a, a skunk walking alongside you sometimes. And his question was, how do you know that isn't just the way life's supposed to be? Right. Oh, really? yeah, sometimes sometime he'll talk to you about his job. I don't know if he's done that yet, but well, he has all the challenges there. He works for Dell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> No matter what position you're in at Dell, there are challenges. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Hmm. But anyway. I well, there's was... also all the people on the outside who are complaining about the merchandise, you know, so, and never satisfied, the customer. Yes. Yeah, so, Steph, um, the, the, the point of that is, going back to this commentary, is that I'm not saying that it isn't hard work for everyone at some point, but I think it's really hard work, this right, wrong, for people who've just got different brain patterns and, and to, um, and, and anyway. So one of our teacher always says, never criticize, only correct. And don't say anything if you can't, if it's not a correction. So, um, a gentle correction. So, I've kind of, with a lot of things, I've gone from um, criticizing to not saying anything. <laughs> How much more of the commentary, Kim? I just don't. There isn't much because it stops in the, it, well, I'll show you. It, it goes, uh, here and then that's it. 
Does everyone have time to finish this or do we want to continue it next time? So we have this page and then the next. Okay. I'm good to finish it. Me too. Yeah. And, and then we can start on a new cone ne next week. And will you email me this? I love this. Okay. So, Kristen, you don't know this. My son's getting married in March and his dad and I have a lot of practice edges. <laughs> and this is a great, great reminder. Okay. So who's reading? Kristen. Okay. So showing up is probably 90%. Maku gets credit for this, but alas, he gets caught. Maku said, Changqing said, right. Why did you say wrong? Nachuan said, for Changqing, it is right. For you, it is wrong. You are blown away by the wind. And in the end, it breaks down and disappears. So, oh, and then Nelda. Hmm. So how do you and I get blown about by the wind? Well, certainly topics such as religion or politics stir up the dust. Believe me, it happens to us all. Try having a skillful conversation with my sister, for example, about politics. We'll all have our match. <clears throat> but why can we talk about the weather or music or pets, but bring up... Now, why can we talk about the weather or music or pets... But bring in politics or religion for some, and the tornado hits. What is it? Well, it's back to fixed views and strongly held beliefs that the mind mistakes for self, believes is the self. This is our conditioning. We've created a self from our beliefs, a self from our beliefs and opinions, our likes and dislikes, our successes and failures. Unfortunately, our self-image is just that, an image. And as such, can be blown about by the wind. Now, your thoughts, your opinions, your views may be valid. Is there a difference? There is a huge difference. There is a gulf as great as the Grand Canyon of difference here. My view, your view, is a view, and as such is valid. It's valid, it is right, it is wrong. Oh, is it right, is it wrong? It's a view, that's all. In this particular moment, it's the one you've got. It may accord with reality, it may not. That's not a problem. It is a problem if we mistake it for reality. If we see through the conditioning of our own minds, we know that what we are seeing is a view, and as such, no defenses arise. Nothing is being threatened. It's like the weather. Is the weather right or wrong? Are you threatened by it? The conditioned self moves into right and wrong. It enjoys or feeds on right and wrong, defines itself by right and wrong. Our minds create duality. Duality doesn't exist other than in our minds. The unconditioned has no fixed view, period. So where does this leave us or leave this monk? Humble, I would say. And with this humility, we must step into the nitty gritty. We must come forth. We must express the truth, our understanding in this moment as best we can. You sit on top of a hundred foot pole. Although you have entered the way, it is not yet genuine. Take a step from the top of the pole and worlds of the 10 directions are your total body. 
we can and must realize the absolute essential nature of existence, which has no fixed view, and then we will take a step, because if we don't, our practice, our life, is not genuine. So get out there, whatever, whatever it looks like. Write letters, carry signs, speak out, vote, and take every opportunity to see when you are caught. Look deeply, inquire there. It is your path to freedom. The very places that we feel stuck is an entry point, but we must recognize it. One of the questions for the student working on this koan is when Nan Kwan says wrong, wrong, how do you respond? And you must demonstrate how you respond beyond right and wrong. <laughs> this is our life's work to respond, take a step again and again, to step from the top of the hundred foot pole with the worlds of the 10 directions as our total body. Together with all beings, we realize the way. A dog barks outside. It is the coldest day of the coldest winter of our lives, mine and the dogs. In the midst of snow dragonflies, where is Buddha nature? What is Buddha nature? Does the dog really care? Mm -hmm. That's funny about the dragonflies. No dragonfly. Because I was in an elevator with this woman and she had this wonderful, beautiful necklace. And it was like all these silver beads and then a dragonfly in the middle. And I said, that's such a beautiful necklace. And she said, um, something about when someone dies, it's, it's good, whatever to, to have a dragonflies and all her friends, since her husband died, all her friends have given her dragonflies and her whole house is filled with dragonflies. And then to come, this was just this afternoon, and then to come across this. What is fun. Well, and it's interesting, you know, the coldest day of the coldest winter, we just had Groundhog Day and, you know, the whole United States and just stops to see what this one groundhog is going to do to see if it sees its shadow or not. <laughs> and does the groundhog really care? Does the groundhog care? Does it know how important it is? <laughs> All these you know, we just have those hard freezes and I, you know, and, and you know, it, that presents some challenges. Is, is the grid going to be able to take it or the strawberry farmers where I'm from? Are they, are the strawberries going to freeze? <laughs> they, so everyone relies on a groundhog who has no sense that this belief exists among humans. And so there's a ceremony, there's a little ritual with people in top hats going, you know. Thank well, thank you, you so much. Thank this you. Was... Thank you. Be well. This was lovely. Thank you. Appreciate you both. Appreciate and you. And the koan. Yes. Good night. Good night. Bye.